It is a very relevant and important topic. It's probably not one that uh, everyone would want to come here, but it is very important, and I think I'm going to be able to show to you tonight it's one that you would be well to be at least uh, advised uh, about. And um, I'm going to, as I studied for this uh, topic, uh, I've realized that there's no way in one session, I did this in a Sundays in July session, there's no way that I can cover every possible thing we may want to talk about here. Uh, uh, but <clears throat> what, I, what I plan to do is to show you why it's important. In other words, uh, we're going we're gonna to look at a lot of statistics, most of them pulled from the uh, Centers for D- Disease Control and, and uh, looked at by various news organizations, etc. And then, of course, uh, what the Bible has to say about this topic and... Um, Well, that's primarily it. So, understanding and helping the suicidal. November 30th, 1932, at the height of the Great Depression, Joseph Logan went into the family barn and hung himself. After years of debilitating illness uh, that he was unable to uh, get any care for because it was prior to health insurance and he had no money. Figured the only way that he could provide for his family was to take out the largest life insurance policy that he could get and pay on it as long as he needed to and then commit suicide, leaving the money to his wife and three children, ages four, six, and eight. So Joseph Logan was my wife, Logan Carr's grandfather, and the six-year-old was uh, her mother. So this is something that we are aware of in our family, and there is a long history of it. In fact, we're going to see in a little bit that there is nothing new under the sun. We're going to find suicide in the scriptures, and we'll look at those in a minute. According to the Center for Disease Control, that's where I said this is the study, government study, that most of these statistics are going to be taken from. Suicides have increased 30% from 1999 to 2016. Approximately 22 military veterans commit suicide every day. Suicide is the second leading cause of death for people 10 to 34 years old. 253, 2,553 young people between the ages of 10 and 19 died from suicide in 2016. USA Today reports that suicide rate of children, teens between 10 and 17 was up 70% from 2006 to 2016. The Daily News, uh, though the teen suicide rate in Los Angeles in 2017 was uh, 27 young people, double what it was in 2016, and most of those were between ages of 16 and 17. Youth.gov 
tells us that heterosexual students who attempt suicide one or more times range from 4 to 10, where uh, homosexuals between 15 and 34 percent of gay and lesbian students. ABC News says that a full 35% of transgender students report attempting suicide sometime in the last 12 months. An increase of as little as one hour of social media interaction from normal levels would result in measurable increase in depression. I read two articles this week on the effects of the glowing screen, they call it, on preteens who get addicted to video games or this uh, um, staring at that screen that causes them really not to be able to focus um, like they should be able to. The University of Michigan Medical School, School says suicide and drug overdoses kill Americans at twice the rate today that they did 17 years ago. And opiates are a key contributor to that rise. I'm sure you've heard of the opiate crisis. It's all over. The news, one of the saddest ones, I think, Marjorie Jones, an 82-year-old woman, committed suicide after giving her life savings to phone scammers. There are 26 billion robocalls that come into the United States, most of them from other countries trying to scam people out of their money. Another article I think would be worth your read, chalice.com, called Snowflake Suicide in Scripture. Uh, He asked the question, he says, Augustine asked a profound rhetorical question, who has the art and the power to make himself? The I generation says, I do. I can make my truth. I can make my reality. I can present myself any way that I want to on social media. And, of course, that's not true. There is a lot of reasons why our society has gotten to the level that it is uh, today, and I'll mention some of those. I think Paul Twist, Sundays in July session, uh, the first one in particular, would help you understand the trajectory of um, society over a period of years and where we got to where we are, but I'm going to read just a paragraph out of that article. The American College Health Association found that 45% of all students surveyed among American colleges felt hopeless, 57% felt very lonely, 50% felt overwhelmingly anxious, 30% felt so depressed that it was difficult to function. Older older adults would likely be shocked at how common young adults discuss suicide, not as a desperate escape from an unbearable, dark existence, but as a matter of course for a relatively tolerable life. For an increasing number of them, suicide isn't if, but simply when. It is the conclusive separation from which, which for them follows logically, inevitably, from an increasingly disconnected, isolated, lonely life. Another interesting article I ran across in Wired magazine uh, of how a cyber stalker uh, stalked a number of uh, 
high school students, essentially, for a number of years until he was finally caught. He created a fake Facebook account with a picture of someone other than himself, a jock kind of looking guy, and of course put all the stuff on there that would be attractive to a young high school student, and then purposely chose some of the girls in the school that he knew weren't in the popular crowd so that they would be interested in connecting with this guy. And then he started asking them questions, you know, all kinds of questions like, what's your favorite ice cream? When were you born? What's your dog's name? What are those for? It resets your password. He collected enough information to get onto their Facebook page, reset their password, and then um, essentially stalk them for inappropriate pictures. Now, it took five years, but a dogged uh, uh, police detective Rachel Moulton, tracked him down, knew who he was by contacting Facebook and other um, Internet companies. But when they brought him in, he denied all the charges. And so she had to get the FBI and eventually the CIA involved to be able to track him down when he was using this specific computer. And they uh, chased him out of... um, the house he was in, and uh, anyway, they captured him, and he's serving a five-year sentence right now. But do you understand what most police departments are going to say if someone comes in and says somebody's stalking me on the computer? They're going to say, well, we don't have the resources for that, right? This particular detective was bound and determined to catch this guy, which she did. But that is the reason I bring that up is that at least one of those students that he had been stalking was close to suicide. Again, as I was reading articles today, um, this kind of thing is going on on video games, a video game called Fortnite, which I have only heard the name of. I don't know what it is. But anyway, they people, stalkers will go on there and befriend people and have them go off the game into third-party um, programs and then do the same type of thing. So something to be concerned about and just give you an idea of what is going on and how these things are affecting uh, young people today. Now, this is a chart that I found in Time magazine. This is the suicide rate in the United States over the last 100 years. And as you can see, uh, the highest rate was in the midst of the Great Depression when my wife's grandfather committed suicide. That was 22 people per 100,000 committed suicide. And then during the Second World War, that dropped dramatically and has been kind of steady. You see that drop from 1987 or so to 1997. The psychology world attributed that to Prozac. That's when Prozac came out and they started dispensing it And they said, well, we will have no more depression or suicide, but they haven't stopped using Prozac. And as you can see from about 1998 till today, there has been a very sharp increase. And the difference in that increase is is the fact that in many cases, it's young people, young people that was not the case in any prior time period. So that just gives you a snapshot view 
of uh, why we're reading so much about it, why we're hearing so much about it, why I'm talking about it tonight, to prepare you that you may interact with one of these people that we've just talked about. Now, as I said, just so we understand that there is uh, nothing new under the sun, uh, we find in Judges 9 that Abimelech, his head is crushed from a woman who dropped an upper millstone, crushed his skull, and he says to the young man quickly, his armor bearer, draw your sword and kill me so that it will not be said of me, a woman slew me. So the young man pierced him through and he died. I put that in the category of assisted suicide, right? This guy was terminally ill, but he did not want to be embarrassed by being killed by a woman. In 1 Samuel 31, we have Saul who is losing a battle and the army and the uh, enemy is approaching and the archers hit him he was wounded so he said to his armor bearer draw your sword and pierce me through otherwise uncircumcised men will come and pierce me through and play sport with me but the armor bearer would not for he was greatly afraid so Saul uh, fell on his sword so this is Someone who committed suicide because of impending doom. Um, This could be someone who is about to go on trial uh, and serve a life sentence and decided that he'd rather commit suicide. Second Samuel, um, Ahithophel, who had betrayed David, and had joined with Absalom to try to take over the kingship. When his advice to Absalom was not followed, says he saddled his donkey, arose and went to his home, to his city, and set his house in order and strangled himself. Thus he died and was buried in the grave of his father. So in this case, here's a guy who has lost, he's betrayed David, who he was committed to following, But he has essentially lost all manner of income at this point. He cannot, he can't work for David or or uh, Absalom, and uh, he decides to just kill himself. Now, one I'm going to mention one that may surprise you: Jonah. Jonah. Why do I say Jonah? You say, well, Jonah didn't commit suicide. Well, uh, when God asked him to go to Nineveh and share the gospel. He hated the Ninevites. The Ninevites were really bad people, and he said, I don't want to do that. I'm going to get in a boat, and I'm going to go the other direction. And so he was completely going against the Lord's will. The Lord caused a huge storm to come on the ship, stopping it. The men on the ship, the captain and the sailors, were terrified. Uh, They want to know who caused this, and uh, they find out that it's Jonah, Now, Jonah presumably could have repented at that point and said, okay, Lord, I give up. I'll go witness to the Ninevites. But he did not. He he told the guys, pick me up and throw me in the ocean, which would have been uh, certain death had God not provided a great fish. So he was prepared to die in the ocean 
drown there rather than be obedient to the Lord. And finally, of course, the the one that we all know about is Judas who betrayed his Lord. And the guilt from that betrayal burdened him so much that he hung himself, couldn't stand it. So, why do I bring that up? Well, partially to say that there's nothing new under the sun. Suicide has been around, and I think we can see these types of suicide today. Maybe there are some different ones, but it is not anything new. It's something we should be prepared for, to be prepared to minister to these folks if they happen to be uh, people that we know. So, what does Scripture say about the value of life, about people who are, want to try to commit suicide? What would you say? Where would you start? Uh, if someone is serious there, they're probably in, they need some encouragement initially, right? So, you would start, you could start anyway, with Genesis one twenty six that we are made in the image of God according to his likeness. So we have great worth simply in the fact that we are made in the image of God. Someone who is hopeless may be encouraged by that fact. Not only that, but God took clay and breathed life into it. And so God himself was instrumental, of course, in creating life. The Lord formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. Also, God is sovereign over life and death. Deuteronomy 32, 39 says, See now that I, I am he, and there is no God besides me. It is I who put to death, and I who give life. So it's obviously a sin to commit murder. Thou shalt not murder. We understand that. That includes abortion, euthanasia, and suicide. All of them are murder. We understand that as well. A question that often comes up, and one that we have to think about very carefully how we answer, is can a professing believer, or can a believer, commit suicide? Well, first of all, uh, suicide is not the unforgivable sin. But if someone who is considering suicide is asking you that question, they're looking for an answer essentially to give them permission to commit suicide and, you know, essentially asking you to guarantee that they're going to end up in heaven, which you don't want to do, of course. Even though it's not the unpardonable sin, it certainly would cause question of their salvation simply because of the fact that they did not persevere. So while we believe that it is possible for a true believer to commit suicide, uh, it would be a highly unusual occurrence. Someone would have to be very, very... Um, depressed, far from Scripture, far from help, isolated themselves, not talking to anyone, 
it would be very unusual. Now let's look at uh, who is most likely, you know, in other words, what people group are we looking for? And this comes from WebMD, and although this list is found elsewhere, this is uh, where I chose to pull it from, it says the suicide rates are the highest in teens, young adults, and the elderly. Men over 65 have the highest rate of suicide, and this is predominantly caused because of opiates. Older people who have lost a spouse through death or divorce. Many times they feel no reason to go on. The person they've lived with for perhaps 50 years is gone, feel as if half of, their, half of them is gone, and so all they want to do is be with their loved one, and they would be um, considered likely. People who have attempted suicide in the past, of course, People with a, ha- a family history of suicide. Now, I told you about my wife's grandfather. Now, her mother, at one point shortly after she was born, had gone out into the garage and started the car with the garage door closed to asphyxiate herself and only left there because she heard Logan crying. Uh, a number of years later, my wife was standing on the top of a building in New York ready to throw herself off uh, as an unsaved actor, actress, excuse me. And uh, fortunately, she didn't do that. But it's in the history, if there is a history. People who have a friend or co-worker who has committed suicide may call this guilt, uh, survivor's guilt. There was uh, recently, I think one of the Students uh, from a school where there was a mass mass shooting uh, like a year later committed suicide. I think that's happened more than once. Those are things, those are people you have to watch out for. People with a history of physical, emotional, or sexual abuse. People who are unmarried, unskilled, and unemployed. In other words, these would be people who are somewhat hopeless. People with long-term pain or disability or a terminal illness, people who are prone to violent or impulsive behavior, people who have recently been released from a psychiatric hospital. Now, obviously, they've got problems in the first place, but once once they've been in kind of a controlled area and they're let out uh, and the restraints are no longer there, uh, they are prone. People with certain professions... As I was telling uh, John Scott, one of our elders, this, he says, well, you know who has one of the highest rates of suicide in a, in a profession, don't you? And I said, who? He says, doctors. So police officers, doctors, nurses, health care providers, particularly those working with the terminally ill, who are facing death all the time, and substance abuse problems, as I've mentioned, the opiates. Now, although women are three times as likely to attempt suicide, men are far more likely to complete the act. You know why? Because men use a gun and women typically use pills. So the pills give, either they don't take enough or people get a 
chance to get in and uh, and take them to a hospital, but uh, a gun is pretty fatal. Suicide warning signs, what are we to look for in some of these people? This comes from the Mayo Clinic. People that are talking about suicide, well, that should seem obvious, but um, if somebody is saying, you know, I think I'm just going to kill myself. I wish I were dead. I wish I hadn't been born. These are, this is somebody, obviously, that at least has it on their mind. Someone who gets the means if they're buy, they recently bought a gun or they're stockpiling prescription pills. If they've withdrawn from society and just want to be left alone, danger sign. Mood swings, emotionally high one day and depressed the next, being occupied with death, dying, and violence, feeling trapped or hopeless about a situation, increasing use of alcohol or drugs, changing normal routine, including eating and sleeping patterns, doing risky, self-destructive things. I wonder if that includes race car driving such as using drugs or driving recklessly, giving away belongings or getting affairs in order when there is no other logical explanation for doing this, saying goodbye to people as if you won't see them again, and developing personality changes, um, being severely anxious, agitated, particularly when experiencing um, some warning signs that are listed above. So what we have to understand that the, in these warning signs is that sometimes they're very obvious because some people you, uh, put their emotions right out for everybody to see. Others hide them. Some people, they keep their intents very, very private and secret. I've included a list of uh, websites with this uh, message and one of them is a link to 15 ways people conceal depression, and perhaps that's something you want to look at. I didn't include it in all of this. But I've called this <clears throat> emotional or maybe motivational reasons that someone would consider suicide. And one of them is selfishness. Many times... People selfishly want out of a circumstance, and they're not considering others. Uh, the death of uh, my wife's grandfather affected that family for generations. And so people aren't thinking about that. Hopelessness, a big one. Retaliation, to get back at someone they feel has hurt them. They leave a note blaming someone else. I've had the opportunity to talk to parents of where one of their, one of their sons uh, committed suicide, and of course he left a note in some manner uh, trying to blame them. And that's something that parent will always live with, of course, uh, even though they chose suicide on their own. Reunion, we mentioned that earlier. Uh, someone who has lost a loved one, a spouse, a child, guilt over sin, Judas. 
Now, warning about medications, any medication. Have you ever read the um, side effects, possible side effects from some of the medications you take, even the most benign things, but some of them you should consider. Most uh, psychotropic drugs um, have what's called a black label warning. They have the strongest warning possible on them. And one of the drugs, one of the most popular drugs that is prescribed for depression has this warning. Report any new or worsening symptoms to your doctor, such as mood behavior changes, anxiety, panic attacks, trouble sleeping, if you feel impulsive, irritated, agitated, hostile, aggressive, restless, hyperactive, more depressed, and if you have thoughts of suicide or hurting yourself. That's medication supposed to help you uh, with your depression. Now, obviously, not everybody that takes that medication has those side effects, but anytime you're on a medication or, or starting a medication, um, those are the, those are the um, most dangerous times, when you're first beginning or when you're ending, uh, taking, coming off. Never, ever, if you happen to be on one of those drugs, and many people are, um, never take yourself off without the help of a doctor. There have been several instances we've been aware of where that has really caused major problems. And there also has been no long-term medical study of the effects on a person's brain that has been on these types of these, what they call SSRIs or other type of psychotropic drugs that potentially change the way the brain thinks permanently so that it may not be possible for some people who've been on it for a very long time to ever get off of it. Now, another study that I think is uh, extremely interesting, Hillsdale uh, University.edu, Hillsdale.edu, imprimis their uh, journal, there is an article on medical marijuana. And it is so very interesting because there is so much true, accurate, studied um, medical research that proves that marijuana causes anxiety and depression. And yet our politicians are quickly mainstreaming it. And I have to assume for money or for uh, to get reelected, what many of them, because they're adults, don't understand that the marijuana that's going around today is 25% stronger than the type of stuff that was going around in the 1970s, to date myself. But it is extremely powerful and has extremely um, dangerous side effects. I would not be surprised if we find out that some of these random shootings that are going on are tied to marijuana or other uh, drug issues. Now, because of the lack of psychiatrists, apparently psychiatry does not pay uh, like other doctors. And so people have stopped going into that field. And there is a, a shortage. Uh, even though California has the largest number of them, there's still not enough. So they've asked medical doctors to fill in, to fill in for the lack of psychiatrists. Now, 
I was counseling uh, with a young woman a while ago who had severe um, la- a loss of energy. She had no energy. And as far as I could tell, she was eating properly, sleeping, etc. So I said, you need to go and get a medical examination because you could have lupus or, I don't know, some something wrong with you that you need to get care- taken care of, antibiotics or whatever. She went, she explained this to me. She came back a couple weeks later. She got an appointment with her doctor. She went in. She said, I was there for about 15 minutes. He asked me a series of about 25 questions, and he told me that I was depressed and prescribed to me a depressant uh, medication. So no tests, no blood tests, uh, just a little conversation asking a series of questions. So how many people have gone to their doctor for help and come out taking Prozac or some other um, medication. All right. So to get away from that a little bit and talk about what do we do, called a biblical counseling, but just how would you counsel someone you ran across who says that, who says, I just wish it was over. I'd like to just end it, something to that effect. What would you say? Someone who admits to you they're having suicidal thoughts. Well, first of all, you don't want to come down with a ton of bricks on a series of um, Bible verses about um, that being sin, etc., etc. You, you, you realize that this person is so depressed, they are so down in a tunnel that they, they need some encouragement. Certainly, you need to show them some love and some compassion, and as soon as you can, you need to give them the gospel. Even if they consider themselves a believer, maybe you even think they are a believer, but certainly if they're not a believer, you need to give them the hope of the gospel, because these people have lost hope. Just being with them often is enough to get them out of that mood. Listen to them. Try to understand their pain. Virtually all suicidal people have lost hope and see no way out of their circumstances. Where that's not true, but that's where they're at. Deep depression is the most common symptom leading to people being suicidal. And by the way, highly intelligent, creative people are the most susceptible to depression. Why? because they're the ones that are most connected to their feelings. The, the ability they have to play the piano or to, to paint or whatever creativity they have is because they are more connected to their feelings than most people. And so they are more likely to experience depression or even mood swings. Most people will go through a period of what we call depression today sometime in their life, but most will not become suicidal. In fact, decades ago, um, people used to say, who were feeling a little depressed, as we call it, they would say, well, I'm a little melancholy, but it will pass. In other words, people understood that there were periods of time when you would feel kind of down and they wouldn't necessarily run to the doctor and get a prescription. They would just 
understand that this will pass. Paul was no stranger to major distress in his life, probably more stress than anyone we would know would come into. Some that, that would cause some to become depressed or even suicidal. Second Corinthians 4, 8, and 9, he says, We are afflicted in every way. Of course, that's because of his preaching the gospel. But not crushed, perplexed, but not despairing, persecuted, but not forsaken, struck down, but not destroyed. He endured all types of trials, severe trials, and yet the surpassing greatness of the power of God allowed him to persevere through those things. That ultimately is what people need who are at the point of suicide, people who are at the point of ending their lives need to trust Christ in their circumstances. They need to get their eyes off of themselves. What is the quickest way? I tell people this sometimes, want a little illustration. What's the quickest way to spiral down into, into a depression is to start staring at your navel, and you'll just go down and down. And same thing is true with an airplane, by the way. You push the stick down, and it goes down. Well, if you pull up Look at Christ. Get your eyes off of yourself and your circumstances and look at Christ. Look at what he has done for you. Look at what he supplied to you. Look at what his power can do in your life. Get your eyes off of yourself. Now, I'm going to show you how to use Scripture to help someone who has lost all hope. First Peter Chapter 1, verse 13. Therefore, prepare your minds for action. Keep sober in spirit. Fix your hope completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. He begins that verse, therefore, pointing back to the earlier portions of chapter 1 where he clearly spells out the mercy that is given to us through the Trinity. He, he goes through the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and salvation, and the fact that we are going to be with Him in heaven, and all of the mercies and the grace. He's saying, therefore, because of all of that, because of this great salvation that God has given us, gird up the loins of your mind is what it says literally. Gird up the loins of your mind. The vivid word picture of controlling your thoughts, pulling up, girding up your loins. Now, of course, you know that they wore long robes in the day, these, this day. And if they wanted to do some work or run or uh, do something very quickly or actively, they had to pull up the loose ends of their robe, tie them around their waist. And he's using that example of girding up the loins of your mind. He's saying in the same way, all those loose thoughts that are going on in your mind about all the terrible things that are going on in your life and how depressed you are and how there's no way out, get a hold of those, grab them, control them, pull them together, tie them in a knot, untangle them. 
gird up the loins of your mind. In other words, it takes discipline, it takes mental discipline to focus the loose thoughts in your mind that are causing you to become depressed or unproductive. Peter calls us to a mental discipline of right thinking. In Philippians 4.8, Paul says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute, if there is any excellence in anything worthy of praise, dwell on these things. Don't allow your thoughts to spiral into thoughts of depression or suicide, or for that matter, any other thoughts that are going on in your mind that are, are preventing you from focusing on what is true. When people are kind of wigged out, whether it's depression or, or whatever it is, when they're not thinking clearly, they're not thinking about what is true. They're not thinking about what is honorable, what is right, what is pure. 2 Corinthians 5.10, take every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. So a believer needs to grab a hold of the thoughts running around in his mind and take charge of them, take charge of his or her thought life. Keep sober in spirit, continually making the choice to be discerning, calm, collected, temperate, not overly emotional. Sober, the opposite of, of course, drunk. So you don't want to have your thoughts as if they were drunk, the uncontrollable, but instead sober-minded implies alertness and evaluating things correctly, seeing things clearly, and your mind isn't numb with confusion caused by worry and fear of things you shouldn't be worried and fearful about. Fix your hope. Fix your hope. Uh, several different translations will translate that slightly different. The reason is there's no um, accurate way of bringing that out from the original language. Hope in the original language is a single word, and it is a command. It simply says, hope. And it is a command for Christians to hope. It's commanded. Based on the riches of your salvation and the future hope that you have in Christ. Hope is not accomplished removing the suffering that you're going through, but by getting your thought life straight, biblical hope is to have an absolute certainty about the future promise God has for believers in heaven. Our hope is not in this world. We're sojourners here. We're traveling through this world as long as you may live. Maybe a hundred years is a drop in the bucket compared to eternity. This is not our home. Our home is in heaven. That's where our hope should be. We shouldn't hope for things here. What we should expect here is to have trials and tribulations and to have the world against us. 
And what did we hope in? Completely on the grace to be brought to you at the revelation of Jesus Christ. What happens at the revelation of Jesus Christ? The resurrection. That is a passage you could take someone with suicidal thoughts or any other type of um, unwise thinking and help them see that clearly. Now, let me just finish here because I know we've gone for quite a while. Some practical steps you take when coming up against someone who you believe is suicidal. Someone mentions suicide or you suspect that they're suicidal, you need to ask them if they have actually considered suicide. And don't allow them to give you a vague answer. Uh, This could be life or death. you You need to be straightforward. Ask them if they have a plan. Have they thought about how they would commit suicide? In other words... It's very possible for someone to be so depressed that they just, oh, I just wish I, it's so bad. I just I want to be out of here. Well, that person could just be blowing off steam and exasperation. But have they thought about how they would do it? Have they thought that far down the road? Have they started stockpiling pills? Have they gone out and bought a gun? Are they going to drive their car off a cliff? So if they do have a plan, if they tell you, yeah, well, I figured it out. This is what I'm going to do. And then you have to take this very seriously and take immediate action. Initially, again, of course, you want to communicate your genuine love and concern for them. You do not want to leave them alone for any reason. You need to get help if necessary. There is emergency action you should take, and that is, You need to remove whatever objects they were going to kill themselves with. If they have a gun, get their gun away from them, take their car keys away, take the drugs away, whatever it is you can do. You cannot cannot leave them alone, which means you're going to need help. It's probably going to take a minimum of three days of constant supervision before you can assume that they're They've come down from uh, the thought of suicide. Have them surrender, confiscate those things. Have them commit to contacting you, you know, for every day for some time after this uh, initial period. And the initial period has got to be several days So what happens if you're by yourself and you don't have those resources? You don't have the resources to have several people come and stay with this person. You don't have the resources to uh, do any of that stuff. Um, Call 911. Call 911. And I have seen this done more than once, and it's very effective. The police will come. The police are very highly trained in this area, and they will assess the problem. And if they come to the same conclusion that you have, that this person is a danger to themselves, they will put them in a 
locked down in a psychiatric hospital for 72 hours. And that will give them enough time to calm this person down. You can, we've gone in and visited people in these lockdowns. Uh, my wife's uncle, for one, although he was there because he had dementia and had gone wandering off in San Diego, but that's another story. But uh, we have visited people there who were suicidal and who got into a lockdown. My own brother got put into a lockdown. So that is a way that you can immediately take care of that problem. It's call 9-1 and have the police assess the problem and put the person into a mental hospital for, uh, they call it a lockdown, and the reason for that, we went to go visit Logan's uncle when he first was found wandering the streets of San Diego, and the first, one of the first things he said to us, he says, do you know you can't get out of here? I've tried every door. <laughs> I said, yes, Uncle John, we know that. But anyway, um, call 911. That is, that is the, those are some practical steps. I hope you understand. I mean, I talked to uh, some educators after I gave this to talk in the Sundays in July, and this is standard procedure for school teachers and people working with young people is, is to understand, uh, to ask them to be very specific, find out how serious are they, and if they're really, really serious, they have to do some immediate action. Well, listen, uh, I know this was a heavy topic for tonight. I I hope that it is beneficial to you because by the statistics we started with, there is a great chance that you are going to run into somebody who is suicidal at your age or younger. And I hope I've given you some things to think about, things uh, that you can use to minister to that person. Let's pray. Father, we know that for any um, problem that we run into in life, whether it's in our own soul or the soul of someone we are ministering to, that your word and the power of your spirit is all that is necessary for life and godliness. And so uh, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its clear teaching. Of course, we thank you for your son who died on the cross for our sins so that we might be forgiven our sin and live with you in eternity. And this is the hope that believers have, that so much of the world does not have, and the hope that we can share. Uh, Whether the person is suicidal or not, the gospel is what we can share for those who do not believe. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.